not in itself imply any inferiority or lesser worth on your part. For example, and this is one that's already been given, Jesus is God the Son, he is equal with God the Father, and Jesus gladly submitted to God the Father. Another thing about submission is that it is necessary in all areas of life, including the ones that we look at today. We're going to be looking at submission in the areas of government, work, and family. Without authority and submission, our society cannot function. But remember that as human beings created by God, our first loyalty and submission should be to God. Today we're going to be looking at the verses from 1 Peter 2, verse 13, through chapter 3, verse 7. And you might wonder why we are crossing it across chapter lines. Well, just remember that verses and chapters were added hundreds of years after this letter was written. And in just a minute, we're going to, uh, I'm going to ask you to remain seated and us read together the following verses. These are sections out of this larger section that give us the three commands. So let's read together from the screen. We've got it up. There we are. Starting in 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Let's read together. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In verse 18, Servants, be subject to your master with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering. Un- and then chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And before we get into the verse, I have just a few thoughts. First, we see three times in these verses God commands us to be subject to an authority. All three commands say directly or indirectly that we are to voluntarily submit ourselves to these authorities for the Lord's sake, that is, for the honor of God's name. All three commands refer directly or indirectly to Christians doing good. And I understand within the context here of looking at government, work, and home, that this doing good refers to Christians being ideal citizens, godly citizens, godly ideal employees, and godly wives, ideal wives. But I I didn't uh, include in here, in what I wrote, husbands, We didn't read verse 7, but chapter 3, verse 7 talks to husbands, and they're expected as well by God to do good, to be godly husbands. But then this other point, all three commands to be subject must be balanced with the reminder that we are not to submit blindly to these authorities. And by that I mean just obey without thinking. Tell yourself, this is an authority, God has put it over me. Whatever they say, doesn't matter what it is, I'm going to do it. No, God tells us we should not do that. 
because all human authorities are by their very nature imperfect. We are, and God does direct us to always obey him. And so you can see what can come. God is perfect. Human authority is not. There are going to be times where human authority conflicts with what God says. And when that happens, Christians will then have to disobey the authorities over them when the authorities require something that is contrary to God's word. Now we're going to look at all three of the commands, but I want to start with the command to servants and masters because it mentions something else that we don't like that much, suffering. Suffering for doing good, which I believe we can extend to the other two situations as well. So let's look at the first command. Be subject to your masters. Now, though Peter is speaking of servants and masters, I'm going to refer to them in today's terms as employees and employers. So in those terms, the command is employees, voluntarily submit to the authority of your employers with all respect. Now, while I'm putting it in these terms, trying to terms that we can relate to, it's important to recognize that society then was different than ours today. They had slavery, and we should be aware that masters in Peter's day had more power than they do today. If you look at the entire passage and look at verse 20, you're going to see that some masters beat their servants, and they weren't chastised for it. This is not allowed today by any means, and so in some ways Peter is speaking to a more difficult situation than what we face today. Now, I've already mentioned that about submitting, so applying that to uh, employees, employees voluntarily submitting to their employers does not imply any inferiority. It also does not require that the employees agree with everything that their employer does. If you look at the book of Daniel, you can see that Christian employees can respectfully appeal to their employer if they disagree with them. But that doesn't guarantee that the employer is going to listen. They may or not, may not respond favorably. We also see that the employer employees are to show respect to both the good and the unjust employers. Now, this showing respect has to do with our manner, how we interact with them also how we talk about them. Well, it's easy to show respect to a good employer, one that cares for the employees, that pays them fairly, doesn't make the work hard, harder than it has to be or the workplace more difficult than it has to be. But God also commands us to show respect to employers who are unjust. Now, that might look like them being harsh, playing favorites, having a double standard, having you work and then them taking credit for your work. So all different kinds of ways that you see the injustice. But I want to mention one other way. Injustice at work also today includes a form of political correctness where employees are directed by the employers to embrace a set of values or actions that the employer favors. And any employee who will not follow the directives or won't or who will publicly disagree with them are fired and that's happening today peter goes on in verses 19 and 20 talking again about work submitting and suffering and in verse 19 he talks about suffering unjustly for doing good 
And by that I understand him to mean by obeying God. So doing good at work would include things like being honest on your timesheet when you're asked to wrongly report your time. Being honest with customers and suppliers when that honesty might end up causing you to to lose some profit. Giving a full day's work for your pay, and, and there's many other ways that we are to be honest and to do good and to follow God's direction at work. Well, let's take one, that one example I gave of a timesheet. It's one that happened to me. My supervisor came to me and said, I need you to put this down on your timesheet. And he was asking me to say that I worked on another project I had not. He said, we had a little problem. I won't go into the details, but this is what I want you to do. What happens when your employer does that and you say, I, as a Christian, I can't. I have to be honest with what I'm doing. Well, there could be some suffering. And that suffering might end up being you being shunned, being made fun of, being passed over for a promotion, being given the least desirable work, possibly even being fired. Several years ago, I heard a, a true account of a man, a Christian man, in a village in a communist country. And this village was out in the countryside, had very few modern services. He was known to be a Christian, and when confronted and told to renounce his Christianity, he would not deny his faith. And so he was given, they they tried to figure out, how can we humiliate this man and make him suffer and everybody always know that what we think of him And so the only work he was allowed to do was to be the village sewage treatment. They didn't have toilets or sewage uh, treatment plants or anything else like that. And so every day, every morning, he had to go around to all the houses and collect what would normally go down the toilet and take it out to a field outside the village and spread it out in the sun so it could dry and it would be sanitary. Well, you can imagine the smell. And he did this, and he found a bright spot in it. You might wonder, how could there be a bright spot anywhere there? Well, what he found was, because nobody liked the smell of the field that he had to work in, he could be out there doing his work and singing praises to God, and nobody bothered him. That's a kind of suffering for doing good. Well, in verse 20, Peter makes a contrast. In verse 20, Peter says, For what credit is is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, there's the beating by the master, you endure. But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So even though beatings aren't allowed today in the workplace, you can get Peter's point. He's saying, if you as the employee unnecessarily fail in some way in your work, and he calls it sin, So this is laziness or sloppiness or being late, whatever it is. And you get negative consequences. He says, you deserve them. You don't get any credit for enduring that. But, he says, if you do good, that is, you obey God, if you suffer for doing good and endure the suffering, and I'm going to add without complaining, he says, God likes your godly conduct. I, oh, yes, I am meddling. Now, the encouragement for us and the command to endure suffering is for the Lord's sake, for the sake of his name. 
And what we see in the scripture is that you're in my obedience, if we are obedient to God, will be acknowledged, if not in this life, then at the final judgment when God says, well done. But there is a benefit that happens now by obeying God, and that is we have a clear conscience. Well, in verse 21, Peter goes on. He's not done with the subject yet. He says, for to this you have been called. Christians have been called to copy Jesus, not only in his love and and in his obedience and in his giving, but also in his suffering. And in the next two verses, then Peter shows how Jesus leads us in that. In verse 24, we read, speaking of Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And then in verse 25, we read that Jesus did all of this while we were straying like sheep. That is, while we were following our own desires. And I look at this and I say, Jesus is leading us from the front. He's not calling us to do anything he didn't do, including the suffering. So let me close this part with two thoughts. First, a reminder of the balance. Yes, we are to voluntarily submit at work but not to obey blindly. A Christian standard is God's standard. But secondly, with political correctness on the rise, living in an increasingly post-Christian culture, the likelihood of suffering as a Christian at work increases. Command number two, be subject to every human institution. Peter's command in verse 13 that we read is for all Christians. So all Christians are to voluntarily submit to every human institution, but Peter specifically mentions governments. Peter also mentions and tells us the proper role of governments. And you see this same thing in Romans 13, to punish evil and to praise good. Now to be clear, God means evil and good as he defines them. And I say that because as human beings, not only can we confuse the two, evil and good, but we do at times confuse them. Now, the human institutions Peter mentions by name were the Roman emperor and the Roman government, neither of which were examples of godly rule. The Roman Empire was built on conquest, using their army to defeat nations and subdue them, and then taxing those nations to maintain the conquest. And the Roman government was corrupt, became increasingly corrupt over the years. And so God, through Peter, is commanding us to be subject to our government, even if it is corrupt. So remember that God is sovereign, that is, God is in control of all things, and God puts governments into power for his own purposes. A little bit like what Eric mentioned with Abimelech. There's a reason that God had him there. We don't know all the reasons, but one of them could have been, okay, you want this kind of guy? Well, here's what this kind of guy is going to do. Our governments, federal, state, and local, are all made up of humans, and so they're flawed. And God allows for his own purposes, those people in those governments, to do evil at times. But God also tells us that he will hold every person accountable for all they do, including what is done in a position of authority, in a position in the government. Now, the command for us to be subject to our governments does not prohibit us from trying to right governmental wrongs. 
But I have to say, those when those attempts must be within the bounds of lawful, godly action. One wrong, as you've heard it before, can't correct another wrong. Well, Peter continues in verse 15, still talking about this. He says, this is the will of God, and this is a paraphrase, to do good and to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Well, the Bible tells us that foolish people think and act as if there is no God. Some people speak against Christians doing good, that is, Christians obeying God, and they call it evil. Well, we shouldn't be surprised because all of us at times act as if there is no God. Then he goes on in verse 16, talking about submitting to the government, but he says we are to live as servants of God. We're told in verse 17, honor everyone, including our rulers. And I think that's important that he did this because if all he said was, you know, obey, except when they tell you, command you to do something against, that leaves it kind of wide open. And, you know, says any attitude is permissible. And so he gets more specific and he says, honor them. Look at the way you treat them. Look at the way you speak about them, but realize it doesn't require us to agree with them. It's talking about how we interact with those over us and how we talk about them. And this applies to all three situations, government, work, and at home. And I say that includes how we talk about them because today ridiculing those that you disagree with is common. Now, again, I'm going to end with this part with the same two points as the first. The balance, we do not blindly obey our governments. We check everything against the standard of God's word. Just as we saw with work, political correctness is in the government as well, and we're in, it's on the rise, and we're in this increasingly post-Christian culture, and so the likelihood of suffering as Christians from the government increases. And already, we see that the law is being used by some people in positions of authority to enforce a favored agenda. Then command number three. Now, let me just say this. This is not an easy sermon to preach. Okay, if you're wanting to preach for people to like what you hear, okay, this is not it. But this is the Word of God, and He's actually speaking to us about these situations that we're all in. So number three, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Some people try to say that this no longer applies because we live in a different culture. But this is God's word, and so it applies across time and cultures. But this command does not leave wives to the whims of their husbands. In these verses, Peter's telling wives not to attempt to change the heart of their husband on their own. When you and I try to change somebody else's heart, it ends up being manipulation. And only God can change hearts including our own. But this is clear. Some change is needed. Peter refers to husbands that, quote-unquote, do not obey the word. So these are Christians, uh, these are husbands that might be not be Christians, or they could be Christian husbands that are not obeying God for a time. Either way, something is not right. But Peter goes on, as we saw in verse 2, to talk about the wives' respectful and pure conduct. I believe that's another way of referring to the wives doing good. Now, the command for wives to act respectfully is important, 
because God gives wives the ability to see the faults and weaknesses of their husbands, and all husbands have faults and weaknesses. And the tendency is, when you see them, to not be respectful. Peter goes on to make a contrast between outward beauty and inward beauty. Now, some have said that Peter is against wives being good-looking, but he's not. He's not against that at all. The focus here, as he talks about outward beauty, is really referring to a form of manipulation. And so what God, through Peter, does is he highlights inward beauty. He talks about a quiet and a gentle spirit. Well, you and I can't have a quiet and gentle spirit if we're trying to manipulate somebody. Okay? It just doesn't work. The message of the passage is for wives to strive to be godly wives. And I'm going to add something to that, and that is that that wives should pray. Now, you might wonder where I get the prayer part. Well, follow me and see if this makes sense. You notice in verse 1 that Peter says, he's talking about the wives and how they should be uh, have a gentle and quiet spirit and be respectful and pure conduct in order that the husbands may be one without a word. Now, I believe that Peter is referring to words spoken by the wife to the husband. We already saw the husband needs to change. Well, God gave wives two husbands to be their helpers, and it is very right and proper for a wife to speak to her husband and attempt to help him. But what should she do if he resists? And I think that's the case that we have in these verses. He's resisting. Should she tell him again and again and again? And the answer is no. Okay, but is is God... Is God putting the wife in a box? Okay, I don't think Peter's intent is for the wife to be silent and to just say, sorry, you got to suffer in silence. No. But it does seem like something of a box. If she's talked to her husband and he's resisting, the encouragement is don't keep talking, don't nag him. I was very clear that we shouldn't gossip, and gossip would be the wife talking to somebody else about her husband. Who does she have left to talk to? God. And that's where I think the prayer comes from. I believe there's an implied encouragement for the wife to pray, to talk to God about the situation, and ask God to work in the life of her husband. And here's the other reason why I think that prayer is in there. How else is this wife going to have a gentle and quiet spirit? She's not manipulating. She's tried and he's resisting to fix a weakness or a fault that she can see and he won't admit. How, what is she going to do? If all she does is suffer, that's not going to give a quiet and gentle spirit. But if she can pray and ask God to come and work, she can have a quiet and gentle spirit. And then Peter does something that might seem a little odd. He uses Sarah, as in Abraham and Sarah, as an example to the wives. Now, you read Genesis, you see that Sarah is a very imperfect wife and that Abraham is very clearly a very imperfect husband. I believe that these imperfect examples give us hope because we're also imperfect. 
Now, as I said before, Peter does not ignore the husbands. He gives them a warning in verse 7, and it's a scary one. He says, husbands, if you will not honor your wives, and if you, if you won't treat her well, and by that in part, I think it means if you're not going to listen to your wife and I gave her to you for your good, then God says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Well, this isn't the only place in the Bible that husbands and wives are talked to about what being a godly husband and wife looks like. You've got other parts of the Bible like Ephesians 5 that speak to both. And in there, in particular, it speaks to husbands and commands husbands to love their wives and to sacrificially serve their wives. And it's very clear in the Bible that both husbands and wives are to submit to God. But you'll never find anywhere in the Bible where wives are told, blindly obey your husbands. It's not there. So Peter gives us three situations, government, work, and home. And let me summarize this way. Part of submitting to God, which is our first, uh, first duty, is submitting to the authorities that God places over us. I've said it multiple times. All human authorities are flawed. So because of that, our ultimate hope must be in God not in those authorities. Next, our voluntary submission is a big part of our witness to the people around us. Peter kind of highlights this with the wife and her husband. He says, it's going to be how you live as a godly wife. Not your skill with words, not your skill at manipulation, or anything else. It's going to be your godly conduct that's going to work in the life of that I'm going to use in the life of your husband. And this is not the only place you see this. I remember being taught about church history and told about this letter that has survived from a Roman governor written to the emperor probably around 200 A.D., so a couple hundred years after the Christian church has been established, and at that time the Christian church is still being persecuted. And in this letter, the, the governor says to the emperor, I'm kind of paraphrasing. He says, you know, we've got this thing going on with the Christians. He said, they are our best citizens. They work hard. They don't get drunk and start riots. Not only do they take care of their own families, which was not a given in that day, they care for the people in their religious community, but they also care for people outside of their community. And that was unheard of for them to be doing that sacrificially. He said they're ideal citizens in every way except one. They refuse to worship the emperor as a god. They are an example of this point, that our voluntary submission is a big part of our witness to the people around us. But the last point, you and I cannot do this on our own. So we need to ask God to help us, ask God to work in us, not only to voluntarily submit, but also then to remember what God's standard is, that we serve him first and have the courage to deal with those times when the government is commanding us to do otherwise. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this instruction. 
Lord, it does show us our need. Because on our own, we aren't going to be good citizens or good employees or good husbands, wives, or children because of our selfishness and our sinfulness. So we thank you that you work in us and you change us, and you change us from the inside out. Lord, we pray that you would work in us, that you would help us to show respect where respect is commanded, that you would help us to obey, uh, that you would give us wisdom. In all of this, would you help us to trust you and to depend upon you? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond with a song. We're going to sing the song, I Surrender All. And what we can always remember is that we can sing, I Surrender All, because Jesus surrendered all. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him.